Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Frustration and, and answer searching, is that the right word? Is ahead of the Eagles in Philadelphia this offseason. Never seen a year that looked so bright finish so darkly before they can join the Dallas Cowboys in their off-season embarrassment. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. Wild card weekend is officially over, and I don't know about you, but it's starting to feel a little bit like deja vu. A mighty NFC East team, a preseason favorite, crashes out of the playoffs in the first round at the hands of a team that few, if any, even picked to make the playoffs. Not talking about Packers-Cowboys today, talking about the Philadelphia Eagles going down to Tampa, Florida, and getting waxed by the NFC South champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers 32-9 to on the final day of the wild card round. Get into that today. There was another wild card game. The Buffalo Bills knocked the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs, setting up the divisional round. We will preview all of that. Got my buddy Greg Allman here to talk about the Buccaneers-Eagles side of it. Going to talk to Henry McKenna about Bills-Steelers. Please, you know the drill. Please go find us on, on all of the social feeds, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We are going four days a week all the way up to Super Bowl 58 offering you previews, breakdowns, awesome interviews. Got some big ones coming up this week. Go find it all. But we're going to lead with the last game of Wild Card Weekend. And Buccaneers fans, I'm, I'm going to give you the same spiel I gave the Packers yesterday. Baker Mayfield, an incredible night. He bombs away for 337 yards. He could have been one of the the leading single-game passers in playoff history if his teammates could catch the damn ball. Baker Mayfield, over 300 yards and three touchdowns, and that's with every receiver in Tampa bobbling passes all night long. Mike Evans with a couple drops. Cade Otten. It could have been 400-plus for Baker and another touchdown or so, and I wouldn't have even blinked. It was that kind of night. We'll get to it. Well, that's, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> we'll get to the Tampa side of it. I still think even with the month that they've had, you have to start with the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that was on top of the league not all that long ago, 10 and one. I remember doing segments on this very podcast about how you can be mad at it, but you have to respect it. Result after result after result. One loss to the New York Jets was when they couldn't stop turning the ball over. Nobody had the formula to stop the brotherly shove and this Eagles team. And how is it the same season that we watched this? Buccaneers receivers running all over the place. Jalen Hurts having no time to throw, getting dragged down for a safety. You realize Jalen Hurts scored more points 
for the Buccaneers in the second half of this game than he scored for the Philadelphia Eagles. They get shut out after halftime. Nick Sirianni with a couple of questionable coaching decisions, taking an extra point and a field goal off the board. I'm going to talk about that with Greg Allman in a minute, but just a, a striking final image of a team that I maintain people can come at me and say that the Eagles have always been fraudulent and no, it never looked as good in 2023 as it did the year before, but up through the first two months of the season, there was a confidence, a swagger, even on occasion, some dominance from this team that could always find a way, always adapt itself to the circumstances it was playing in. And then in the blink of an eye, just lost every answer imaginable. And defensively, I at least kind of understand it between injuries and players aging out. Offense up until tonight, I know A.J. Brown didn't play against the Buccaneers, but the cast of characters was largely the same and the results just weren't. A, a, a completely inept Philadelphia offense Never were able to get their running game going in the second half of the season. Relied way too much on deep shots. Honestly, basically the majority of Philadelphia's offense, even in this game, was heaving up prayers to Devontae Smith. And he is a good enough receiver, even without A.J. Brown, that he made that look smart more often than not. I just, I think I've said this already on this show. I just, I don't remember anything like this. A team going from at the very least being one of the top two seeds in the conference to a, a wild card and B out of the playoffs without much of a fight. Just like the Cowboys yesterday, it, it's worth looking at in some detail in terms of where they go from here. I guess on the bright side, I can see the path forward for the Eagles just in the sense of, no, I'm not giving up on Jalen Hurts. I'm not giving up on the combo of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. You can always find a good running back to, to run behind this line. And fortunately for the Eagles, whatever losses they un- incur on defense, I think I can speak for all of their fans when I say nobody's going to be sweating those losses overly much. Secondary needs to be overhauled. The linebacker position in Philadelphia has been a wreck for most of the last decade. Maybe Howie Roseman looks to the linebacker position in the draft for a change. Continue to add talent to that front. Like I I see the path forward, but it's a striking reminder of how fleeting success is in the NFL. There are going to be changes. I think the broadcasts on Monday night did everything they could to hint that this might be the last that we see of Jason Kelsey in a uniform. No word. He declined to talk to reporters. No, no official word on whether he's going to retire, but watching him get teary-eyed and hugging staffers and coaches on the sideline in the final minutes of this game, it's easy to wonder, it's easy to assume that that could be coming. And even if it doesn't, guys are going to leave in free agency. Other guys will retire. I saw Brandon Graham said he wants to play one more year. We'll see if that happens. This team that looked like it would be together for a while and be right back in the Super Bowl fell well short of that. And if I know anything about Howie Roseman, regardless of what he does, he's going to try very hard to overcorrect the mistakes that were made this year. I'm going to trust our guy, Jay Glazer, and assume that head coach Nick Sirianni is safe. Maybe I'll be wrong about that. I guess we'll see. I think the head coaching positions 
and Dallas and Philadelphia are going to be interesting to watch in the coming week or so. But even if Sirianni stays, the coordinator situation was a fiasco in Philly this year. They already demoted Sean Desai, their defensive coordinator, weeks ago. I'm going to imagine Matt Patricia doesn't get the D.C. job full-time moving forward. Brian Johnson somehow is public enemy number one in Philadelphia while also getting requests to interview for other jobs in the NFL. We'll see where that goes. Like I said, a year ago, less than a year ago, two months ago, this team and organization looked like the model of stability and sustained success. And we're not pulling the plug on this era of Eagles football at all. But like I said, it's just a reminder of how hard this is, how quickly things can change. So an off season of frustration and, and, Answer searching, is that the right word? Is ahead of the Eagles in Philadelphia this offseason. Never seen a year that looked so bright finish so darkly before they can join the Dallas Cowboys in their offseason embarrassment after a startling finish in that division. The NFC North, which looked for all the world like the weakest division in football, the NFC South for that matter, North has two teams in the divisional round of the playoffs. NFC South now has the Buccaneers in the divisional round of the playoffs. The NFC East, the only division in the league that is not represented at all. Yikes. All right. That's enough words on the losers for now. Let's switch over to the Tampa Bay side of this. A fun night for Baker Mayfield and his Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm joined now by my buddy, Fox Sports NFC South writer Greg Allman to talk all things Buccaneers. All right, Greg. Well, let's let's start where we were talking before we started recording this thing, which is in the middle 20 minutes of this game, it felt like the Bucs were going to let the Eagles off the hook. And then all of a sudden they put the, you know, they put the pedal back to the metal and they pull away at the end. What led to the to the, you know, second half surge that that allowed this to not be a stressful ending or, or maybe even a heartbreaking collapse. Yeah. They definitely had that second act where for a while they were only getting field goals and then they stopped even getting field goals and they kept like third down bad sack by Mayfield to get out of field goal range. Uh, it's two plays in a span of three plays that did it. Um, Anthony Nelson gets some pressure. Jalen hurts. This game was all about quarterbacks keeping the ball way too long. Uh, Jalen hurts takes a grounding penalty in the end zone for a safety. And then two plays later, uh, James Bradbury whiffs on Trey Palmer and it's a 50 yard touchdown. And all of a sudden it's 25, nine and the bucks have a cushion. They really didn't have it all uh, for about a half. And really once they got to that up 16, um, they kind of had it easy the rest of the way. Eagles never really showed much threat beyond that. I'm glad you mentioned quarterbacks hanging on to the ball too long. I'm not, I'm not a coach. I, I'm I'm not going to pretend to be a guru of X's and O's, but if you know NFL football, you know that Todd Bowles, Tampa Bay head coach, loves to bring pressure. But it didn't feel like the Philadelphia Eagles realized that. What what was the key to how Tampa was able to get to Jalen Hurts and just completely fluster this Eagles offense? Yeah, I thought they they mixed up a lot of different looks. They they opened the game with three DBs and four down linemen. Um, you know, they they moved. Zion McCollum, who's really usually an outside corner into safety, just to have one more good coverage guy in the middle of the field, um, shifted from having Devin White as their main second linebacker to KJ Britt, who's really good against the run, solid tackler. 
a lot of things like that. I was amazed how little they ran Hertz. I mean, Hertz's first carry was in the third quarter for five yards. Um, I thought they did a really good job of containing him, making him kind of a pocket passer. Um, aside from, you know, Devontae Smith having, I think, 148 yards, their offense didn't have much the whole time. This The first game, you go back to week three, Eagles run the ball 40 times for 201 yards. And, and today it's 15 carries for 42 yards. That's a season low when they needed their run game the most. Yeah, I'll 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 claim a Mia culpa right here because I really thought the Eagles key here would be ground and pound and get the hell out of here. And they I mean, they they probably didn't run the ball as many times as they could have or maybe should have, but it, it wasn't there either. And Greg, you had the distinction of witnessing somebody stuff the brotherly shove. I mean, we can talk about Vita Vea or wherever you want to go, but what was it? about the Bucks front that just took that element of this away. Yeah, it was really neat. And it's just a two-point conversion. There's that weird sequence where they took an extra point off the board to go for it, and it makes sense. Go for two from the one-yard line. Yeah, Vita Vea is just a, a massive body in the middle of that. Uh, poor Greg Gaines is not as big a guy, and he was on his back upside down with at least at least like 10 players on top of him at the goal line. Uh, it's funny, the first game when they played the Eagles, they stopped the tush push on a third and one, and the Eagles just were like, okay, we'll do it on fourth and one. And they converted. So it was kind of like, well, you had the consolation of one time you stopped it, but they got it the next down. So it didn't really count. But here, it felt like it made a difference. Instead, of, I forget what the score was. It was like 16-9 instead of 16-11, I guess, or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think emotionally, for that defensive line, that was kind of a chance for them to say, uh, we, we can beat them at their best. We can take you know what they take the most pride in and stop them when it means the most. Nick Sirianni took four points off the board in this game and didn't get any of them back, by the way. Like, both decisions turned out to be wrong. And not that the Eagles care, but me, as a, as a true sicko, can't help but notice that the, uh, the over-under, the over, the over-missed by, I think, two points or maybe three. But uh, right. guessing a lot of betters are, are extra unhappy with Nick Sirianni this morning. Yeah, and that's twice. I mean, if you do it one time, you know, take points off the board, it, it's interesting. And I wondered, like, I kind of jokingly said they're going to take three points off the board this time. And again, I mean, fourth and five, it, it down 16, it didn't make a ton of sense to go for a field goal in the first place. Um, so it's kind of like the penalty gave him a chance to rethink. I'm still down two touchdowns. It's not a big help. It, it, you don't have to worry about sweating two-point conversions, but that's about the only plus to it. So... Yeah, I was surprised by that. Um, both times it came back, there was a point where it would have been an 11-point game where like a touchdown and a field goal and a conversion, and they're in it. And instead, it's it's a totally different game. So, I mean, a lot about the Philadelphia Eagles here the last six weeks surprises me. <laughs> and we got, we got all offseason to figure out what's wrong with them, but the Buccaneers are on to Detroit, which is still a wild thing to say. The Detroit Lions hosting a divisional playoff game. I'm fascinated... You cover the NFC South. You've covered the Bucs for a long time. Can you remember far enough back to the regular season matchup? Lions won this game 20-6. to six, and, and that seems to be the case for this Buccaneers team. Is like As explosive as they can be on a night like tonight, they're also capable of throwing up 6, 9, 13 points in a game. What's the key for them to maintaining the explosive passing attack that we saw tonight? I think in both cases, I think they just showed how much they've improved in the last three months. They were still a very young offense. 
Uh, Dave Canales is a first-year coordinator, a first-time play caller, and that was week six was the Lions game. And, and honestly, the Eagles and the Lions games for the Bucks were very much the same. Games they were not in at any point, fully dominated, kind of showed that they weren't there. Like, maybe they can be bad teams, but they're not going to beat the NFC elite at all. Uh, Eagles was 25-11, and it was 25-3 in the fourth quarter. Lions was 26, and they kind of called off the dogs in the fourth quarter of that one, too. So um, Lions looked amazingly good that day. That I, I saw them and saw them beat Atlanta by the same score early in the year, and I felt like they are legit rookies all over the place making plays. They will be a team that makes the playoffs. They validated that um, to get a win like they did against the Rams very barely. Um, it's a big one, and that's a, a, a hostile, nasty place to go into all of a sudden in six days for the Bucks. I'm probably putting you on the spot and I apologize. This is, these are big picture questions. Maybe they're best saved for after the Bucks season ends, whenever that is. But the, the dynamic here is really interesting. This was a team that very few people thought much of. They start the season pretty hot three and one, they fall off to four and seven. Now they're back on this tear. I mean, what does it mean for Baker Mayfield? And maybe even more importantly than that, what does it mean for Todd Bowles? My inkling is like Todd Bowles would have been on the short list of coaches that you think would get fired prior to the season. And now he is playing in the divisional round of the playoffs. Where do you maybe see that going when the season is over? It's wild. I mean, they were four and seven and obviously Todd Bowles is not looking good to keep his job at that point. And even, even two weeks ago when they're playing Carolina, if, if they had lost to Carolina and didn't clinch the division, just that collapse of losing your last two when you only need to win one, one against the worst team in the NFL, could have done him in. Um, there were people here in Tampa that were still like, he needs to win a playoff game to keep his job. I, I really didn't think that was the case. I, I thought nine and eight division title, he was fine. But he's in good shape now, I think. I, I feel like even if they don't do well in Detroit, he's going to be okay. Uh, Baker Mayfield's the same way. Baker Mayfield you know, again, end of November, he really started hitting his stride. We were like, wow, this is a guy that could keep long-term. Maybe they don't draft a quarterback. Maybe, maybe you know, he's a guy that can be more than just a bridge and be somebody they really like. Um, he had kind of gotten through that mid-season struggle they had where they lost six out of seven. And now to not only take them to the playoffs, it's a lot like he did with Cleveland in 2020. He didn't just get them to the playoffs. He won a big game in the playoffs. I mean, today, Baker Mayfield, this is the first... 300 yard, three touchdown game in Bucks playoff history. Tom Brady never had one. Um, you know, second best quarterback rating ever for a Bucks quarterback in a playoff game behind Brady in the Super Bowl in this stadium against Patrick Mahomes. That's that's a cool second for him. And this is a guy playing on a four million dollar contract. So I think he's very much uh, put himself in position to get a long term deal to stay here. Uh, I think he knows he wants to be here. I think the Bucks kind of had that thing where they know. He doesn't want to roll the dice and, and try another new team and whatever it might bring to that. So right now it's just finding a number that's, you know, not an insult to him and tells him that he's coveted and wanted by modern NFL quarterback standards. And then, you know, hopefully that's a contract that'll still allow them to bring Antoine Winfield back and let him have Mike Evans as a receiver. Um, they've got some free agents they have to deal with, but it's not anything impossible. They can bring back most of this team pretty easily. I don't want to guess at what the number will be, but I, I'm confident it'll be bigger than what he signed for last March. And I'm I'm happy you mentioned Antoine too, because you are you're my fellow Antoine Winfield supporter. 
Happy the guy made somebody's all-pro list. It was well-deserved. Greg, I don't know how many people called it, but the Buccaneers on to the divisional round of the playoffs. We will check in with you about it soon, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Good to talk to you. Thanks to some unforeseen circumstances, Eagles-Buccaneers was merely the second half of a doubleheader instead of the standalone Monday game, as we talked about. Thanks to a metric shit ton of snow. Is that, a, is that an official measurement? A shit ton of snow at Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The Buffalo Bills and Pittsburgh Steelers had their wildcard game moved to Monday afternoon. The Bills down the Steelers by a score of 31-17. Probably the game that followed the script the most closely of all of the wildcard weekend matchups. Steelers did what they could to muck it up, keep it close. It was a one-score game in the second half, but a very convincing win by the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen doing his Superman thing. The Bills are on to the divisional round and a very juicy matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Pittsburgh Steelers back in all-too-familiar, uncomfy territory, good enough to have a winning record, not good enough to do a whole lot else with it. It has been seven seasons now since the Pittsburgh Steelers won a playoff game. Their average margin of defeat in their last three playoff losses is 15 points, so not even overly competitive when they do reach the postseason. Something that's going to bear looking into as the Steelers move forward. But let's focus first on the winners going to talk to our buddy Henry McKenna, our Fox Sports AFC East writer, about a big day from Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. All right, Henry, it feels like a familiar refrain in my opinion, but I guess that's why for all of the hand-wringing about turnovers, that is why you put up with the downsides of Josh Allen, because the upsides are really, really badass. Yeah, four total touchdowns. Three passing, one a 50, 50 plus yard rushing attempt uh, for the for the six pointer. Um, it is as complete a game as we've seen from Josh Allen maybe this season. Zero turnovers is uh, that's as kind of good as it gets with with Josh Allen. I think obviously third quarter of this game against the Steelers, kind of a snoozer for Buffalo. Um, that's. As good as they play, they still manage to figure out how to sleep their way through 15 minutes of a playoff game. And lucky for them, the Steelers are not good enough to make them pay. So, um, I mean, like, you know, as far as playoff games go, was this electric? No, but, you know, you still get the sense that the Bills are getting better. Maybe not healthier, but, but maybe better. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the health aspect of it because that, that is a big storyline coming out of this game, especially now with Kansas City on the horizon. But I, I tend to agree with you. It, it was such a, it's a weird vibe when the Steelers are doing their Steeler thing. They're, they're blocking kicks and making plays and all of a sudden it's a one possession game in the fourth quarter. And I still wasn't really worried. Like I never really believed that the bills were in danger, even when it was 24 to 17. And yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a testament to how well Josh Allen played. I think it's also the defense kind of coalescing, but in general, it just, it just seems like the confidence is, is sky high with this group. 
Yeah. I mean, if we were thinking about the first half of the season and this, this Bills team seeing the Steelers creep into the game, then yeah, we would be like looking at it totally differently. But given what we've seen from the Bills over this six game winning streak, you can, you can feel confident, right? Like they've won. Admittedly, they play down to their opponents, just like we saw against the Steelers, but they beat the Dolphins. They beat the Patriots. They beat the Chargers all by a touchdown ish or less, or, or well, a touchdown or less specifically. Um, and then they beat better teams. But uh, even when they're playing down, they don't lose control of the game. Um, Josh Allen still manages to take over. I think it's like really a growth period for him as a as a fourth quarter quarterback to be able to win these games, even when the rest of the team, even when he um, not playing at the very best that they can, Allen is still kind of like taking control. And it's something that like you really only see with elite quarterbacks, uh, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, obviously Tom Brady and all of the times that Tom Brady was Tom Brady. And that's the stuff we need to see from Josh Allen. He does it differently because he's rushing for first downs in the fourth quarter. Not, not as much of like pocket management as those other two guys I've mentioned, but like it's different, but it's similar uh, and it's exciting. I, I mean, it's really fun to watch him sort of find this new understanding of the game and it's happening in the fourth quarter. Like I urge everyone to watch, watch what happens against the chiefs in the fourth quarter. You will have two quarterbacks wrestling over control of what I'm almost certain will be a tight game. It's, it's going to be phenomenal. I'm glad you brought that up. One last thing on Josh and on the offense, but see if you like, I basically just want to know if you agree with me here. It's, it's fascinating to think like it's almost freeing for Josh Allen that you can sort of throw everything out the window in the playoffs. Like, during the course of the regular season, it's like, I got to slide. I got to protect the ball. I got to, I can't be taking these hits. I got to last for 17 games. We're in the playoffs now. You don't have to worry about that as much. You, you don't have, I mean, you're fighting for every yard. You're saying, if I got to tote the ball eight times today, then that's what I got to do. And you see the difference it can make. And it's not like we didn't know Josh could make these plays, but I wonder if it's freeing for him to not have to worry about the strategy of it all and just say, I'm bigger and better than everybody out here. And I'm going to do what I have to do. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a new gear from him in these desperation games. We've seen him um, open up, you know, whether it's running, like you're saying, or, or maybe like we saw um, him convert across his body, a, a really sensational play to Stefan Diggs. It wasn't just that he was on the move. It wasn't just that he was sort of like jumping and throwing across his bike. It was actually where he placed the ball, which was out of the, the harm's way from the defense. It was across Diggs's body uh, spot where Diggs could catch it and the defender couldn't. Um, just like incredible ball placement. I mean, it, and like, a, you know, it, it, only Patrick Mahomes really can make that, that throw. Um, so... Yeah, I think he's I think he's like learning to be up against a wall, uh, the you know, the best quarterback he can be. And that, and that's just being a great quarterback in general is is like playing at your best in those situations. Now, the question is, uh, he's 0-2 against Patrick Mahomes in postseason games. Uh Patrick Mahomes has never played on the road and therefore has zero postseason wins. Something's gotta give, right? One guy has got a notch a 
a, a win in, in either one of those categories uh, and we'll see which one does it uh, Sunday night. It's a, it's a TV executive's dream. It's a football fan's dream. Speaking of which, I mean, obviously Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes aren't ever going to be on the field at the same time. And the last thing I want to ask you about before we get out of here is the Bills defense did what they needed to go do against Pittsburgh, but a unit that's already dealt with so many losses looks like they're going to be without their young linebacker, Terrell Bernard, as we're recording this, not a hundred percent sure of the severity, but a cart came out for him. There was an air cast involved. I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb saying he probably won't be available for, for this game. And I remember asking you this during the course of the regular season at some point, it feels like these losses start to become a lot to overcome, especially for a position that's already lost Matt Milano. This, this feels like a lot for the Bills linebacker core. Yeah, and actually Terrell Bernard wasn't the only linebacker injury. Balen Spector also suffered an injury. So those were their two starting linebackers going into this game. That left them with A.J. Klein and Dorian Williams at linebacker to finish the game. That's going to be an injury report situation that's going to be like closely monitored heading into the, the the game against the guy who runs like he's got demons, unlike I've any, seen by any running back ever, Isaiah Pacheco, the, the like tap dancing monster. <laughs> uh, he is <laughs> too much fun to watch. And unfortunately for, for Bill's Mafia, they are currently not equipped to uh, figure out how to tackle him. So um I, I I don't know. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, they certainly don't have the personnel. I mean, we haven't even talked about cornerback too. I mean, we, I, we have in previous weeks, but not tonight, um, which was that like Kyer Elam was out there m- making interceptions. I mean, he was their fifth cornerback, I think, to start the season, but, uh, widely considered a bust. Didn't necessarily have like a great game. Uh, he, he made some big mistakes, but um, yeah. The Bills' defense is down to replacement-level players at a number of premium positions, and it will be fascinating to see. You know, admittedly, Mahomes is in like a diminished situation from a personnel standpoint this year, more so than ever. And still, I'm like pretty interested to see what he can do uh, against this Bills' defense, which has been like underachieving given all of their injuries, but it just keeps getting more in terms of you know that's what that that injury report looks like on a weekly level it's like some comical game show where it's like okay sean mcdermott your guys are good how are you without matt milano and trey white okay you figured that out all right well let's take two or three more guys away and it looks like they're going to be undermanned against the best quarterback in the world so We'll see how it goes. We got plenty of time to get into that. But for the time being, the Bills are in the divisional round, just where we thought they'd be all along, right, Henry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at six and six, we couldn't have seen this coming, but uh, Josh Allen did. And so uh, he gets to say, I told you so. That's all that matters. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. With all due respect to the 10 win Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm not really interested in rehashing their side of this playoff game. It it was very predictably short. It it looked exactly like what you thought it might. And their season is over. What I do think is interesting about the Steelers is like I mentioned at the top of the segment, where this franchise is and where they're going. I, on one hand have to commend Mike Tomlin for maintaining this incredible streak 
of winning football seasons. But like I said, it's been a long time since the Steelers felt like a team that was dangerous entering the AFC playoffs, even on the years when they've made it. Where do they go from here? The thing that compounds it? Number one, the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett has been healthy for at least two weeks since injuring his ankle during that abysmal losing streak back in December. Mason Rudolph is the guy that led them on this winning streak over the last three weeks into the postseason. Not a memorable day from him in Buffalo, but he acquitted himself fairly well for the third quarterback that the Steelers turned to this season. But therein lies the point. Mason Rudolph is a free agent now. It's just a one-year deal. Not sure you saw anything from him that makes you think he's the long-term future in Pittsburgh. We don't need to talk about Mitchell Trubisky. And what do you do with Kenny Pickett? Just his second year, he's a first-round pick. I can hear the logic that says it's far too soon in his career to give up on him, especially considering his offensive coordinator was fired midseason, yada, yada, yada. The point remains, this was a guy that the Steelers spent a very expensive first-round pick on and didn't go back to him when he was healthy enough to play in some of the biggest games of the season, including the postseason. I just think that signals something. I'm not trying to take Kenny Pickett's job away, but it doesn't seem like his organization is overly enthusiastic about him starting at quarterback for them. It's a heck of a crossroads to be in. You know a Mike Tomlin coach defense is going to be good. You know there are weapons on that on that offense, whether it's George Pickens in his flashes of talent, whether it's that running back duo, the things that Najee Harris and Jalen Warren have done. There's stuff here worth being excited about, but you got to find some sort of better answer at quarterback in order for anybody to believe that this is more than a seven seed that winds up losing its first game. What do they do there? They're positioned at 21 in the draft order now. That's around where they were when they picked Pickett. Is that good enough? Do they do something bold, whether it's in the free agent market or with a trade or a draft pick? Bold is almost the antithesis of the Steeler way. They're much more about just dogged consistency, all that blue collar stuff going all the way back to the 1970s. It's hard to imagine them doing something, for instance, like what we saw from the Carolina Panthers this past offseason, mortgaging the future to go get a young guy to build around. It's hard for me to imagine that, but maybe it's time for the Steelers to think outside the box. I don't know. And I also don't know what the future holds for Tomlin. Clearly, one of the most accomplished coaches in the NFL, one of the best resumes of any active coach, especially after the departures of Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. And yet, we are now all well aware that he only has one year left on his contract because when he was asked about it at the conclusion of his postgame press conference, he walked off the stage which you can take that to mean a lot of different things. I would imagine it just means Mike T doesn't want to talk about something like that when he's still fuming about his season ending. But it is such an interesting place that a team, a coach that have experienced so much consistency and so much success are now at a moment where frustration is completely understandable. It sounds really good to not have a losing season for 15 years, but when it's been almost a decade since any of those winning seasons amounted to anything meaningful, I get it if Steeler fans aren't celebrating that streak the way that a lot of outsiders seem to do, including me. I think it's amazing, but if my emotions were invested in the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'd probably be sick of hearing about it. Once again, it is a fascinating storyline to watch in the offseason. What do they do at quarterback? 
what is the situation with Mike Tomlin? I would assume he's going to be the coach of the Steelers moving forward, but that's never stopped anybody from recklessly speculating. Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll are gone from their jobs, so who's to say in this crazy mixed-up world? But I'm so interested to see if the Steelers do anything bold outside of the norm to snap out of this state that they're in right now, or is the blue-collar dogged determination so entrenched in their DNA that that is the way that they go to try to move on from here? Something to watch, but in the meantime, their season is over. It never felt that close to amounting to more than what we saw. That is the case. Pittsburgh, just another team on the list of interesting storylines for 2024, but no more games for them. There are, however, eight teams still playing games this weekend. Monday night finalized the divisional round bracket. We know who everybody's going to play. We know when it's going to happen. Divisional weekend in the 2023-2024 NFL playoffs is set in the AFC. The number one seed Ravens were off this weekend. They host the upstart Houston Texans in a week one rematch, actually. Have a feeling a few things have changed there since that game. Obviously, the battle of the all-world quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, happening in Buffalo, the two-versus-three seed. On the NFC side of the bracket, you have the one-seed 49ers, hosting their old nemesis, the Green Bay Packers, after the Packers' big upset over Dallas, one versus seven. That leaves Detroit hosting Tampa Bay in the three-verse-four game on the upper side of that bracket. Let's, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. The sex appeals on the AFC side of the matchup. You got Lamar Jackson, the likely MVP, against C.J. Stroud, the likely rookie of the year. You got... Allen and Mahomes. Are you kidding me? We could do Allen and Mahomes every year for a decade and I would never get tired of it. I hate to compare it to Brady versus Manning and everything that they've accomplished, but I'm sorry. It's, it's must see TV. I can't wait. That's not to diminish what's happening in the NFC. I don't, I don't think it's as, it's as easy a sell, but two super interesting storylines for starters. How about the script getting flipped on San Francisco and green Bay? It's typically the Niners that torture the Packers as the as the plucky underdog. Remember, it was just two years ago. The Niners, as a six seed, beat the number one seed Packers. Aaron Rodgers, MVP. Green Bay couldn't score more than 10 points. Ruined their season. Now, it's the Packers' turn to play spoiler. They've lost four straight playoff games to San Francisco, and they've had a couple really promising seasons ruined by the Niners. Can Jordan Love flip the script? Oh, my God. They might name a street after him, even without the Lombardi trophy, if he can ruin this San Francisco 49ers season. And yes, Lions Buccaneers, absolutely interesting. We talked about it already. Baker Mayfield coming from off the trash heap to be a game within the conference championship. Love that. And then obviously the Detroit Lions playing to be in their first conference championship since 1991. Could you imagine the party in Detroit? If the Lions win that game, I mean, theoretically, there's even a possibility the Lions host the conference championship game if they get that upset from Green Bay. Oh, my God. A Lions-Green Bay conference championship game? I'm, I'm definitely getting ahead of myself. Can you tell? But it is incredibly exciting. It's going to be awesome. Not exactly what I expected. Please don't go back and look at my pre-wildcard weekend picks. It was a rough weekend for you, boy. Not the games I've picked, but games I'm incredibly excited to watch. We'll preview them all later in the week. No need to do all of that right this minute. Got time for that. 
But before we see what the matchups look like in depth and who's going to win them, everybody loves a ranking, right? I said it last week. We're, we're done with the traditional power rankings in the sense of the entire NFL. But that doesn't mean we can't rank the teams that are available to us, does it? No, of course not. Everybody likes to get mad about a list. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to end the show by just ranking. First of all, we'll rank the eight winners, the teams that are still playing, and we'll finish it off. The teams that saw their seasons end, we will put them in order. Let's start at the top with the teams that didn't play. Surprise, surprise. Can you guess the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers have not moved? They finished one and two in my power rankings last week. They didn't play. Why would they? At number three, I guess if you're going off spread, the easiest game of the weekend, the Buffalo Bills, maybe not the most impressive win, but when Josh Allen is doing what he did, 270 yards and four total touchdowns, yeah, the Bills can stay right where they are. Six straight wins. I feel good about them in the three spot. At the four spot, I'm sorry, Lions. I'm sorry, Lions fans. I picked the Rams to upset you, and though it was dicey, it was stressful, but what a gutsy performance at Ford Field. I thought Jared Goff was amazing. I thought Aiden Hutchinson showed his worth, made, made his impact felt. Amon Ross St. Brown, so happy for Dan Campbell. Yeah, the Lions can be in the fourth spot any day. And I'll even, I'll put them over the Kansas City Chiefs. A, because let's give deference to the regular season win that started this whole season out. But also, the Kansas City Chiefs, even in a dominating win over Miami, Yes, it's minus 24. Of course, we're we're nitpicking here. We're looking for little reasons to critique and criticize, but four Harrison Butker field goals, this offense still not as consistent as you would prefer it to be. It was a big night from Rasheed Rice. Can you count on that every week moving forward? Can you count on that as the spotlight grows brighter and brighter? I'm not out on the Chiefs, but I feel better about four other teams. It's okay. It's fine. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, will anybody be surprised? Absolutely not. They do still have... Number 15 at number six here. I I feel guilty. I feel guilty about Houston and green Bay at six and seven because their two quarterbacks had the coolest weekends of anybody a point away from a perfect passer rating each. I basically identical games announced themselves. I think so highly of CJ Stroud and Jordan love. I'm excited to see what the Texans and Packers can do but there's so many deeper teams, more established quarterbacks above them. It felt like a fitting place to slot them in, even though their wins were so emphatic, so fun. And then rounding out the winners, look, Baker Mayfield wants the motivation anyway. He loves to play with a chip on his shoulder. So I do still think, even after a dominating win against Philadelphia, the Bucs are the all-around weakest team of the winners. But hey, they're a win away from the conference championship game, so... Certainly not a criticism. Moving it on down to the teams that lost this weekend. A gutsy performance by the LA Rams on the road. Matthew Stafford was incredible. They finish in the top 10 after where they were in the preseason. This this year is a win for them. My only criticism, Sean McVay's timeout usage. Not my favorite, but a, a winner of a season. Finishing number nine in the league. Can't say enough about how impressive that is. Really, from the rest of the way down, we're just talking about who was least embarrassed. The Dolphins score a touchdown, a forgettable night from Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami offense, but between the injuries and the Arctic temperatures, it kind of felt like what was supposed to happen. I'm not going to dog them too much for that, although it is a 
not quite as bad as another team we're going to talk about, but a late season that not a lot of people will remember fondly for Miami. 11, Cleveland went down to Houston, got their butts beat. Really, really ugly, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not going to kill Joe Flacco too much for the two pick sixes. The performance that the Cleveland defense gave up, I just, I expected better. Still a team that went through five starting quarterbacks. Cleveland Browns finishing at number 11. Number 12, I'm going to give it to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are they as good of a team as the Eagles and the Cowboys? Absolutely, they are not. Did they acquit themselves better in the wild card round of the playoffs? Absolutely, they did. The last two spots in the power rankings, I put Dallas above Philly because they spanked Philly a month and a half ago, but the Cowboys and the Eagles, take your pick. What do you think is worse? Somebody actually asked me this on Twitter. Would you rather finish the season more strongly as the Cowboys did and have the rug completely pulled out from under you, the only home team that lost on wildcard weekend, losing in your building as a seven-point favorite? Would you rather have that upset loss come at you out of nowhere or would you rather be the Eagles who finish out 14th? They were 10 and one. They're now 11 and seven loss after loss after loss, the dysfunction, the inability for any kind of consistency on offense, the putridness of that defense. The roster is amazing for both of these teams, really, but the way that they each finished it, they're deserving of being exactly where they are. The two most disappointing teams of wildcard weekend easily and not where either of these fan bases saw their seasons ending. And that'll do it. All right, we'll keep this rolling. Next weekend, we'll rank the conference champion participants as well as the division round losers. We'll see how it goes. The field gets smaller and smaller. Before you know it, we're not going to have any games left to talk about, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not wish the end of football season on ourselves so soon. We will be back. There's coaching news. There's matchups to get to. There's going to be hirings. Shoot, maybe there will even be firings. Feel like that's still on the table in at least a couple of NFL cities. We will have everything that you need to know here. Please give us a follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, go find the YouTube channel. Tell a friend. Tell a family member. Tell your, your teacher. Tell your coworker. I don't know. Tell somebody about the show. We will be here all through the rest of January, leading right up to Super Bowl 58. Until then, plenty, plenty more shows before the final game of the season. We will catch y'all next time.